did what the Democrats do, was that even effective? And it's like, well, no, obviously not. There's six of them, right? Like, I can put all of the Democrats in my car and take them for ice cream. In the Senate, they have a sub on the basketball team. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I feel like the important thing that happened during the session, and we won't know yet like what the ripple effects are, is that a big swath of Republican voters got lied to by Republicans. No. Right? But And they know it. They can't deny it. You can't crawl back in the hole and be like, oh, this is fine. They have everything under control. Because all you saw was that they're completely out of control. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter. That's right, it's Twitter, at Braden Gall. It's X. My name is Jamie Holland. Don't follow me anywhere. There you have it. Uh, joining us on the show in studio, Betsy Phillips, of course, Aunt B on Twitter. Do you call it Twitter or do you call it X? I still call it Twitter. Good, good. Uh, why throw away billions of dollars in branding for no reason at all? I think, Braden, I was the first member of the Metro Council during a meeting to post a tweet. <laughs> Had to go back and look that up. But it's not Twitter anymore. Now we post on X. What a hero you are. You're just a, just a hero. <laughs> uh, today on the show, we will discuss... Uh, first of all, I don't even know if I need to introduce you any, as any other way other than Aunt B and Betsy Phillips. Uh, Jamie has another title for you. Would you like to hear Jamie's other title? Nashville's preeminent number one historian, hands down, no question. Thank you very much. So kind of you and so not true, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll... The, before the show, there was some more colorful language in that title. I was hoping to, I was hoping to get the more thorough title into the show. But uh, thank you so much for being here. We, we do really appreciate it. If you have not had a chance to check out her piece, of course, uh, on the Nashville scene, I believe you published it Monday mm -hmm. uh, after the first of two uh, interesting days right. at the special session. Uh, make sure you go check out all of her work, of course, at the Nashville scene. Uh, Republican voters who want gun reform, let the special session be a lesson uh, is the headline. So go, go check that out. And we're going to talk a lot about what we saw. This might eventually be a therapy session for some of us what did we learn what are the outcomes what's moving forward what the hell are in the four bills that were actually passed there's a, a an election happening in nashville so i want to remind everybody early voting is up and running started on the 25th we are taping this on friday uh, and through thursday 31,000 early votes which is about a little over 5k per day through the first six days. That's actually ahead of the August 3rd election pace, which is good news. Uh, most of those uh, skew older, of course, and all of the polling locations, dates and times are linked in the show notes. So make sure you go check that out. That goes to my point earlier, Braden. Do people know how, have you told them how to rate? And why I keep saying that is I'm trying to get more ratings than all your other podcasts. <laughs> so this is about you? I just want more ratings for this podcast than all your other ones. Uh, Betsy, do you think I need to explain to the audience who is obviously now listening currently to a podcast how to rate or review said podcast? Do you think I need to explain that to people? I don't think you need to explain it, but you can lure them in. Like, <laughs> is there an incentive? Like if you get 500 five-star ratings on mm. you know, iTunes, will Jamie... 
like run shirtless through a metro council meeting or something Ooh. like <laughs> that is absolutely worth 500 please uh give us 500 reviews <laughs> there's the idea jay sorry you gotta buddy. scroll all the way down to get to this five star I think people know how smartphones work in 2023. I don't know why he keeps asking that. Anyway, check out the show notes for your early voting locations. More importantly, go vote. Uh, I'm curious. Again, you got four at-large candidates, eight candidates running for those. You got three district runoffs. You got a, a house race as well. So just uh, everybody make sure you're going to vote. September, 4th, September 14th, of course, is the final uh, day to actually vote for the election and one of those candidates is startled she's running for mayor yes i was gonna say we have a candidate and a hostage for mayor <laughs> <laughs> poor alice i just feel someone needs to take her aside and just be like man we we can all see that this has gone somewhere that you didn't know it was gonna go and now you're stuck. She's like the dog that caught the car. Just let's go gently take her to PetSmart and buy her a toy. And you know, I don't know. That's not nice. But no, not really. Good lord, though. I just have never like what you were saying. Her comment about like I guess I need to think about that. And it's like more than one time. Yes, right. Like yes. she's thinking. Give her credit. I know, but usually we contemplate running for mayor before we're the last two candidates. Like, I mean, I'm sure Freddie O'Connell probably, if you went to his parents' house in their attic, there is probably a box with like 14 hand-drawn spreadsheets that he made when he was three and a half that are all like, <laughs> when I'm mayor, I will... First, we need to find those spreadsheets because he's probably only three and a half, so it's like probably would be good for us because it's like i will give candy to everybody we need to hold him to those early promises <laughs> then we all get candy we probably all get to stay up what a, a little social, what a socialist handing out candy <laughs> i'm just saying that man had a plan like he came into the world <laughs> with a spreadsheet did and he have, did he have glasses on the day he was born too, I'm, probably i am sure i'm sure and he had already called five people to get there okay so i found myself alive what, what do you think of the human condition? What things should I be looking out for? Do you have any advice? Like, just like speaking in whole sentences and taking notes. That's Will he have made nerdy cool when he's... I, I mean, I hope so, because I am also a big nerd, and I would suddenly love yeah. to have all kinds of like street cred, young kids looking at me being like, yeah won't be like her because in general no one says that. <laughs> I, I think i think it just happens when you become an adult like people realize oh nerds run the world right right, <laughs> right. We, we don't we're, we're done picking on them because we're a bunch of bullies um although that will bring us perfectly into the special session yes. um also the phrase i think the dog caught the car applies broadly to many of these different issues that yes, we talk yeah. about as it pertains to the GOP, and we're going to try to get into a lot of these different conversations today. And again, it's going to, it could turn into a therapy session. So it's going to be a meandering conversation about what was actually accomplished over the two weeks during the special session, who is to be blamed for what did or did not take place. Um, and so it, it, there's a lot to get to. A lot of people are feeling a lot of different things. So we'll try to, you know, get, get our feelings and thoughts out as much as we can today on the show. So I'm very impressed that neither of you have security because apparently like if you're Cameron Sexton, you can't even go to your own job where there are state troopers everywhere without your own personal security. So I'm thinking of getting myself some, frankly. Oh, yeah? Well, he's third in line or 
second in line to succession of the governor, and they've always had security. Listen, would you even notice, like, if Bill Lee just stopped showing up for work, I, that, what would the that, difference that, that be? Just, well, that, that just happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> that's kind of one of the points I wanted to make. All this lands at the feet of uh-huh. Governor Bill Lee. And we're off. He is done. His lame duck status started far sooner. That is an insult to lame ducks. Than any of his predecessors and will be unable to lead to the extent he has led before. And I'm going to be generous and say that's what he's been doing the first four years and this year. Uh, That is is over. That is his leadership. He is done. Well, as I said in my column, this is what we get for electing a man with the soul of a white-tailed deer. Like, talk about startled. Like, this yeah. is a person who did was like, oh, crap, I'm governor. Like, he doesn't have, he has, I, listen, I've been thinking about this for ever since the Covenant shooting, and I cannot give it, get it out of my head. If one of my friends were murdered, God forbid... I would be broken and I would be pissed. And there is not a single person in this state who would hold it against Bill Lee if he were broken and pissed. He lost a dear friend. And instead, like, it does not seem to have affected him. There is no, he is like, he didn't show up for the session. He didn't. Like nothing he, as you said last week, nothing he proposed was actually very meaningful. The one meaningful thing he proposed, he proposed it in such a way that it wasn't legal. Like it it makes no sense to me. And if I were any other of Bill Lee's friends, I would be like, oh, I don't actually, he's not a friend. Like, I don't know what he thinks friendship is, but it is not like, oh, well, we'll just wait and see what happens. Like, the most charitable explanation I can give is that the, the folks from Covenant that he met with, he misled them. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you're my friend. Yeah, you got to tell it to me straight. <laughs> like, yeah, right. It's just. Tell me. I, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, right. Like, and then it's like the feedback. Well, you're the governor of the state. Right. What's the point? Uh, What's the point? Why are you here? Right. But it is also then like, because I keep thinking to and about how everybody's kind of like, well, did what the Democrats do? Was that even effective? And it's like, well, no, obviously not. Like there there's we'll get to that six of them. Right. Like I can put all of the Democrats in my car and take them for ice cream. In the Senate, they have a sub on the basketball team. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, But I feel like. The important thing that happened during the session, and we won't know yet like what the ripple effects are, is that a big swath of Republican voters got lied to by Republicans. No. Right? But and they know it. They can't deny it. They can't like there you can't crawl back in the hole and be like, oh, this is fine. They have everything under control. Because all you saw was that they're completely out of control, and they don't have. I mean, ideas I would, I would, I would limit that. You said Republicans. I would say Republican, but, <laughs> but, well, he is hopeful. Oh my God! Oh my this God! This is difficult. They made good progress, and it's important. 
the significance of the special session. We are safer now because of the special session. Really? Hey, when the when the candidates are running for office and they say he's not a unintelligent man. Are you sure? He has a degree in engineering. I mean probably had spreadsheets. Everybody's got to be at the bottom of some class, right? Like Wow. A degree in engineering. I like that. I think that degree was a lot easier than the degree I got. I have a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science. Well, again, though, I mean, the engineers I know want to fix things. They will, you know, like, I have a friend who works for GM. The way he got that job is that when he was in college and they were going through GM, he was the only one who got on the floor and looked under the cars to see, like, what's new? What are you doing on the, you know, like... Billy doesn't get into the weeds with anything. He's not trying to figure out, like, well, what he does not know what a governor does. How many times has he signed a bill and then been like, we'll get him to fix it later? No, dude, that's what a veto is for. Yeah. If the bill, if the law, bill isn't right, you veto it. That sends it back. Signing it and just saying, like, well, I hope they'll get around to fixing this is... Like, did you not have a civics class ever? Is there not, like, intro to being a governor where they explain this to you? Like, what? No. So there is a, there, I, I would, I would posit a more cynical answer to your question sort of about, you know, yes, did he lie to the covenant parents? What are his friends thinking? How much do you care about this, this family that is mourning? And I would say the more cynical answer is he, and we alluded to it briefly on last week's episode, which is the cake and eat it too reference, which is, he wanted to appear to some people like he was trying to do something right. for the political win and maybe the PR win, knowing full well that how he's going to how he got elected was by the people paying to keep those bills from taking place. Right. So right. To, to me, which is, again, you could argue is politically savvy by him and his own personal self-interest, certainly not his close friends. That's the more mm. cynical answer, in my opinion. You can't tell me that those people were his close friends and he behaved that way that, yeah, m- that may have just, been a good point somewhere to make down the line nobody's going to dispute it publicly but if your friend if that happened your friend gets killed yeah well and especially your friend gets killed and there are like just incredibly easy steps that everybody in the state wants to take like you know it's not like his friend was killed by a meteor and we, as the state of Tennessee, do not know how to build a giant dome over Tennessee to keep a meteor from ever hitting us again. His friend was just shot with a gun. And there are many ways that we can keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. Like, it's just not, it kills me that we are still, like, the amendment says a well-regulated militia how have we gotten to the point where we can't have any gun laws what do they think well regulated means it means that we have laws that there's training that you have to have that you like these fools in this state if everybody in this state who owned more than one gun was suddenly put into a genuine actual like malicious situation they would all shoot each other because they do not know what they're doing. They're not well-regulated. They don't know how to work together. Like, you don't need to carry a gun into 
the state house if you feel secure about your ideas and know how to talk to people. Like, it's just, it's very infuriating that they're like, well, I, you know, I believe in the Second Amendment. Okay, the second half of the Second Amendment is what you believe in. Well, I believe in the whole one. Like, let's do some it, regulation. There's a really great, and I'm, just, I'm doing this because through a lot of these, again, this is a therapy session for, for us, and a lot of times I need to laugh to try to keep from doing other things. Neil Brennan, who was a co-writer on The Chappelle Show with Dave Chappelle, brilliant, brilliant comedian, um, has a bit in one of his Netflix stand-ups where he talks about, like, well, let's just try out the whole Second Amendment thing. You and your 99 buddies dressed in Kevlar with mm -hmm. your AR-15s against the U.S. government. Yeah. And all we need is a drone. Yes, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you're not going to keep, like, even the people that are saying the things that they're, anyway, we're often, again, this is the therapy part of the show, right. so we're, it's just the, the, the logic and reason behind trying to understand why we are where we are will lead you to insanity. Right. Yeah. You can't, you, you just have to kind of stop. So, right. But the, the point, the other problem is that staring in the face of the fact that we are led by a man who does not appear to like understand what the stakes are for his job is also insane and will lead you into like really dark places. Like it's, horrifying to realize like he in all this time has never learned his job he has no aptitude for it and people are counting on him i mean there are lives at i mean there always have been like his re covid response was a nightmare and his response is just like i wish people stopped being so mean to me well then don't run for governor like i don't want he should have never called it he, no, even he though he really, has, a, even though he has the constitutional authority to issue the proclamation, call the legislature back for a special session, he never should have done it, and it, it should all lie at his feet. One bipartisan agreement here in the House. Karen Camper, House Minority Leader, Representative Karen Camper out of Memphis, quote: "People expected us to do something to make the public safer. We did nothing." House Majority Leader William Lamberth said just a little bit safer but not enough it's right. like well what the hell did we do yeah you don't throw a show like you don't do political theater if you don't know that you're gonna make your side look good like that is the whole i am baffled that the republicans would have a special session and not have a plan for how they're going to come out smelling like roses. There's an, there's a lot of easy wins. So many, so many easy political wins and they right? didn't take any of them. And we'll get into the implications of the, the dramatics right. of what took place on Monday and Tuesday of last week. And we can, we'll have healthy debates about the value of that and what it does for the conversation moving forward, what it does for future legislation. Well, there's, I want to get, I want to get into, negatives. I want to get but, into the theater. I know we're going to do that. But Kabuki. But hang on. The same old, same old. We're, we're, that's a big part of the show. Just, you know, later on, hang on. <laughs> uh, but I think that if you're going to put number one bullet point in your proclamation about mental health, if you like, there, there's so many wins for Billy in this and so many wins for both the house and the Senate Republicans to, because I, again, we'll get into the, the use of fascist and authoritarian terms, which I've even gotten to the point where I'm, I'm like, okay, let's come up with some new language, but they they're in the control. They yeah. were democratically elected into the control. They have the supermajority. Do some shit that makes you look good. Yeah. And everyone that is in charge 
in my opinion, came out looking small. Yes. You can do something and look big and yeah. earn some votes next time you're up for re-election, or you can do some shit and look small. And they all look small to me. Yeah. Well, to the extent this erodes the supermajority in the legislature, the godfather of that erosion will be Bill Lee. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, I'm not even sure that it's going to erode the supermajority, but I do think that there is a big crack now between the Republican leaders and the Republican base. And I'm really interested to see how that develops because you just can't, you can't have your whole base telling you we want reform. And then you say, ha ha, no. Like, well, I don't, I don't know that the whole base is saying that. Well, right. Well, yeah, I think maybe some Republicans in Davidson County might. Well, Davidson County, for state electoral politics concern, it's over there. J- Jeremy well, Faison. it was till they carved us up into three. Jeremy, well, that's Congress. Jeremy Faison said it, though. He said, nobody in my district wants red flag laws. Nobody. And I'm like, nobody? I mean, but I, I agree. I think here's the thing for the... The, the left-wing activists and that want to kind of go at this the way they're going at it, which I actually understand why they're doing it. But gun issues and politics are far more complicated than the far left wants to admit. There are a lot of Democrats who love guns in general. Uh, it doesn't mean we can't get into the lobby. And, and But, like, I'm curious about, like, Jeremy Faison's district, how many people would be okay with, let's take an AR-15 off the street. It's not as popular as as people like to say on Twitter, for example. Well, no, but I do think... What that, is Twitter? <laughs> that there are... Something has changed. And I think, like, Jamie, you probably have experienced this. So I grew up in small towns. When I was in high school, because it was pre-Columbine, because I am also 9 million years old, everybody had at least a rifle in their truck and during hunting season they probably i mean i can remember the one announcement i ever heard about guns in school was the principal reminding people when they came in from deer hunting to make sure their trucks were locked because he did not want to spend all day trying to track down where your stupid rifle went lock your truck seems pretty locked. and it was right. you know hanging in the back window yes exactly exactly and <laughs> i also know that if i went to a friend's house and there was a gun out and i went home and mentioned that to my dad 10 dads would go to that house and that dad would not leave that gun out anymore yeah. and that is not something has changed in gun culture where it used to be that gun owners kind of monitored and regulated themselves. So, you know, like you could have a gun at a high school. Nobody thought anything. Of, I mean, the, it blows my mind to even think like, yeah, you locked your truck because you didn't want your gun stolen. Not because you thought someone was going to like shoot up the, it just was a different world. And, but to me, I think like the fact that there are not, there's not that pressure from other gun owners to be like, dude, yeah, don't leave your gun out where your kid can find it. Like, that's really so basic, you know, or like, have a gun safe. Like, it just really, I mean, and this is well, why. Well, now you can get one tax-free. Right, exactly. But this is why my contention I thought they were going to give them away. No, just, those are just the locks that are free, which, by the way, already was a thing. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> already, You already get a lock if you buy a gun. Exactly. So. Thanks, Billy. But... <laughs> This is why I say pull the gov- the government should pass one g- 
gun law. From here on out, we only need one. And that is that you have to carry liability. And then let the insurance companies oh. and the gun owners duke it out. And we stay back. Like, but, you know, like, obviously, that's, like, I don't want to be shot. But if I am shot, I want to know that it's not, like. My family is taken care of. My yeah, friends, yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want my family to be like, oh, great. Some jerk with no money shot my sister <laughs> so so the lesson of your story is to get shot by a rich person right exactly okay. exactly right. which you know <laughs> so this, this but this does lead us to because i think you're right that there has been a change and i think a lot of people want to say like oh video games like no mm -hmm. video games actually there's lots of scientific evidence that say that video games have not increased crime or right. increased behavior mental health is a huge part of this and was number one on the proclamation yeah, right. and they did i mean we can get into the, the specifics of of 7089 which is you know 50 million dollars in mental health one of the few bills that was actually passed 30 million dollars in school safety grants it's hard to even figure out where all the dollars are going in that in that i think it's 110 million total i think right um that they passed which was con perceived as a bit of a controversy or a compromise but i do want to get to because this does lead us things changing, Republicans being feeling like they've been lied to, the Republican moms being on in the building all two weeks to sort of keep their voices active. I'll be fascinated to see when this in January, how many of these folks are still out there and if the energy is still there. But this gives us this leads us to what what actually could have been accomplished, because I think part of what has changed in our country around guns is been this long uh, protracted intentional campaign to PR campaign to make guns the like everybody's got to have one. We love guns. It's the gun lobby. It's the NRA. It's all this stuff. Right. When I watched the drama, the Democratic caucus walk out on Monday, the whatever you want. I, I can't believe the term altercation is being used between what happened with <laughs> Justin life. Pearson and Cam yeah. Sexton. They, there's two dudes that were in a heated situation who bumped into each other. Like, let's move the fuck on. But I think all of that happens, though and creates noise about an issue, in my opinion, and Jamie's gonna, you know, fight me on this about the impacts of legislation in the future and run in primaries, but like there is a conversation that is a PR battle right now. Mm -hmm. It is a 10 or 12, or you have to view it the way the Republicans viewed abortion in 1980. Right. It is a 20 year PR battle that you have to keep the conversation alive. And if yelling about it and screaming about it and maybe doing something a little embarrassing, or doing something that is for the clicks or for the likes, like I, I'm here for that. Yeah. Like I think people are here for that because they don't feel like they have any other option. Right. No, I've been super impressed with the Democrats because that the only battle they can win is PR. But it for me has been really fun to see some of these older Democrats kind of come into their own. And I mean, I'm going to say this. I like John Ray Clemens fine, but like poor dude is just, he's like the golden retriever of politicians. Like he just bland and sweet. And then all of a sudden there he is throughout this whole thing. He's suddenly like Atticus Finch or like Gregory Peck in any movie. He's got like resolve and passion, like watching Antonio Parkinson, like, G.A. Hardaway, who I have disliked for a long time because of his friendship 
<laughs> with Stacy Campfield and my inability to like not hold a grudge. But like, I, I, I've had to revise my feelings about him even seeing. So it's been, you know, on the one hand, it's like obviously they're loose this way because they have nothing to lose. Like there isn't any reason to play nice anymore. But on the other hand, I think that for a lot of Democrats who have felt like, why isn't anyone just pointing out like the multiple like elephants in the room? It's really cathartic to have somebody say like, this is ridiculous, or you're just doing this because this is a black man, you know, or like all the stuff that seems so obvious to finally have somebody just come out and say it. Yeah, it is cathartic. Is it doing any good? I don't, you know, no, not initially, but I still think that it, that's why it's important to do it is just to remind people like, yeah, you're not alone. If you are the one person in your small town who's like, man, I, I really wish that the Proud Boys weren't protesting outside of this donut shop that they've decided is gay you know like no you're not alone a lot of us are like oh we're just letting open armed violent white supremacists wander around the state with no pushback like yeah we're all alarmed so i i like that just in terms of like community building and just reassurances to each other but really all democrats can do is try to they're the the fissure is in the Republicans, and all Democrats can do is try to push on that fissure and break it apart wider. But so I, 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 it's not just the. Do I think that some of the things that were done, the like again, I, I, Anthony, I talked to Anthony Davis about this, and he said one of the the proudest moments we had was when we all joined together and walked out together, and and we could, we can overreact to a silence vote for Justin Jones. We can overreact to like the, the vote of no confidence, which I don't even know where that would have gone. It would have gone nowhere. I assume no. and done nothing. They, we use words like authoritarianism and Marxism and like it, 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 but like Jamie, you always say this, the coin of the realm is hypocrisy is the coin of the realm. Well, in a, in a, in a cause like this, enragement and engagement is the coin of the realm. Like that's right. Right. You, it is about the clicks. But and, again, and that's how it gets keeps the word out and keeps the narrative alive and hopefully brings people back right. on but January 3rd. Again, to just speak of like unforced errors, there is no reason for Republicans to fight with either of the Justins. Yeah. Like every time Giving them oxygen. <laughs> that they let them bait them into some kind of confrontation, they end up looking like assholes and bullies. Whereas it's like, you have all the power. All you have to do is just let either of them talk, nod, and then move on. Like, it would suck all of... Right. But, in, no, they're so easily baited. And it's like, is there not one consultant up there who's like, time out, guys, L listen. If we keep all the people out of the gallery, that <laughs> might look bad. <laughs> Yes, right? Like All you have to do is let everybody in, let all the activists in, let all the Democrats talk and listen to them. You're exactly right. And, yeah. none, and of this, then, none of this happens. Right. Just move on. All right. Floor is yours. You, you mentioned Stacey Campfield. He ran for the House several times before he ever knocked off Steve Butcher. And his, I lived in Knoxville at the time. His campaign always was, I'm not the other guy. Mm -hmm. Rode around the back of a truck, you know, bumbling fucking idiot. But he started out in the House. Mm -hmm. He never passed a bill. Democrats were in power. He was, this was early on in the internet age of politics. He was a blogger. Mm -hmm. And 
They wouldn't let him pass a bill. He finally got one to calendar and rules. Rob Briley re-referred that back to the damn committee (laughs) (laughs) that sent it to calendar and rules. Eventually it goes on to the Senate. Point being, you know, there's a current placeholder. There's 132 members of the General Assembly, 99 House, 33 in the Senate, for those listening that don't know that. That one you just mentioned a while ago, he's number 132. Number 131 is identified. Number 130 is identified. 129 is coming on board. They're never going to pass a bill, no matter what their ideas are. But I also don't think they have any interest in doing that. Right. They want the theater, the shit show, the addiction to attention is real. Mm-hmm. They, it's like they can't walk a walk, do anything without a camera on them. And my thought was, I went down there Tuesday after it started on Monday night, and I, I was expecting to see, you know, the normal horses around the barn mm-hmm. back up, back up, let the Covenant families be the leaders. Everybody else. Shut the fuck up. Right. Get in line. That's not what happened. Oh no. It was oh, we got we got somebody else to bring into our posse. Right. And let's use and abuse them. Cuz I, I think there's no way I believe the Republicans who are either parents of victims of that tragedy or adjacent to that tragedy want number 132 to be doing what he's doing because all he's doing is taking attention off of them and putting it on him so why are the, the, moms- the little hold, hold on right. the little kerfuffle altercation you call it you know I, guys I, being guys i i don't call it an altercation guys being guys while that was going on 132 takes an opportunity to go up to the dais and start banging the gavel. Not go down there and see what's going on with his friend. Because mm-hmm. I, I think he's the Tennessee Democratic version of Trump. Masterful with the media. Mm-hmm. Masterful with the spoken word. Has no interest in those covenant families. Except what it will do for him to amplify his individual personal profile. And it's contemptible. He doesn't give a shit about their tragedy. That there is a there was a scene and I think it was he had tried to call for the vote of no confidence in the wrong period in time. Uh, no, nah, let me hit that. Well, no, cuz cuz what happens is he ends up he's there is a couple of scenes where he is and the covenant moms are interacting and he's talking with them and they're pinning the flower on the lapel or whatever. Oh, I'm and sure. So, I'm sure. And so it plays on the internet and it helps the story and it helps him. Oh, I'm sure. But he, it helps he, the covenant moms too. Like it, you see what I'm saying? Like he, did, he wasn't ignoring them completely is what I'm trying to say. There, there was plenty of footage of them interacting. So on Thursday night, he asked the clerk parliamentarian, when can I bring a motion for a vote of no confidence in the speaker? He says during unfinished business. First of all, they didn't know the answer for about five minutes. Well, that, that's no, they knew. They they knew the answer to that. One, don't. If you're a Democrat, 
don't rely on Republicans to teach you what the fucking rules are. Right. Yeah. You need to learn those yourself. Yeah. Number one. So, you That's, know, that question alone is confession that you're a dumbass and not interested in doing the work. Right. That is the job because the media quit paying attention to him after he threw the traffic cone inside the guy's car window when he was crossing Charlotte or Martin Luther King Boulevard in front of the Capitol. But that's another point. Answer given during unfinished business. During unfinished business. And if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to stand up and say, hey, when can I ask for this? I'm in the minority party. Well, short of my death, my wife's death or my children's death, I'm going to be at my seat holding my microphone when the clerk says unfinished business and I'm going to make my motion. He didn't fucking do it. Right. Well, not there to do the job. All right. Fault. Fast forward to Monday. Well, got a letter running into the speaker's office with, I think, Mr. Canoe of Tennessee Holler recording. Oh, we're going to do it Monday. Did it happen? Is that... Did he shut, sit there and shut his mouth to do that? No, he got ruled out of order and had to shut up and lead to the walk-off. Who is that bringing attention to? Damn sure not the issue of the day. Right. It's bringing it to himself. And who's that serving? He's represents one house district out of 99. He's sucking the oxygen out of the room to the misfortune of... 98% of the fucking state. Well, don't, don't you think part of this, though, too, is that he's an activist? And activists are strange politicians. Like, they're, they're two different skill sets. And, you know, when you're protesting, it's usually pretty clear what it is that you're protesting for, or protesting against but when once you're a politician if you are genuinely interested in being a politician you do have to pass laws and i don't i don't think that he has made that switch or maybe he doesn't think that he needs to maybe he is viewing being in office as a kind of activism but if so like he hasn't i don't think at least not that I've heard been clear, like with what his goals are. So, you know, when you protest, you hold up a sign that's like, I hate cheese or whatever it is, but everybody then knows what your, your cause is. And I do think that that doesn't translate as well into politics. So you would then need to be even more clearer, you know, that like, well, I'm doing this because of this, or I'm doing this because, and you know, I mean, I mean, they were, during the Occupy movement, I think 2007, 2008, scratching my brain there for that, but like he, he was up there, and there were some women that were sexually abused, sexually assaulted, and there's reports out there that he discouraged yeah, people from contacting the police because it would make the movement look bad. Right. But also, like, how old was he then? I mean, this is all, you know, I'm I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying we are in a very unique situation where a very young person who feels called to do something that he may not have yet all of the skills he needs to do those things is still going forward anyway to do those things. Do you know if he caucuses with the Democrats? 
I have no, I have no idea. I, I know he wasn't there for the vote. Yeah. For caucus chair. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, like. Because I think the, the motion to call for a vote of no confidence in the speaker had nothing to do with Republicans. Right. He wanted to put his colleagues, he wanted to lay a marker down. And it's my opinion that when they all walked out with him, he became their de facto leader. Problem is, he's not trying to lead. I doubt very seriously he's whipped any votes. That right. is, you know, if you want to get your motion passed, your bill passed, you got to talk to your colleagues and get them to vote for things. Uh, you know, that's the boring part that right. well, he doesn't want to do. I mean, that's also going to be up to his constituents as well, because if they're having the same troubles getting a hold of him, same troubles getting him to respond to things, then... It'll be obvious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've I fielded calls. Yeah. Saying that ain't happening. Yeah. I, I will say, I think what's interesting is the, the actual moment where he gets silenced, which again is seems like a, an, a self-owned by the Republicans to some degree because you're giving your opponent oxygen. You're giving him the social media views. You're giving him the, the enragement and the engagement. He wasn't doing any, he was talking about the gun issue and within the conversation about a bill and he wasn't sort of quote unquote off topic representative bolso had been held out of order twice earlier so if you're just watching it at home and you don't know all of this stuff you don't know all the details and you see this guy being told he can't speak for the rest of the day where that guy can speak all he wants to and they're kind of doing the same exact thing that seems unfair and so the what happens is that's all people see and what you to your point uh betsy about the the other work that you have to do it's coalition building, it's ground game, it's turning out voters in your district, it's activating and, and building groups that come together within the community to help further th causes and issues that people care about. Like there's a million things you have to do to be a good representative and a good politician, which are also two different, governing and mm -hmm. running a campaign are right. also two different skill sets. Y you know, like <laughs> there's a lot you gotta learn. I, again, I come back to, as a father of two daughters in Metro schools who care about their safety on, on a gun issue, did what he did advance that conversation? I, I don't give a shit about his motives for just for a second. Let's say, cause I agree with everything you're saying, Jamie, if, if that you got to do the work to, and the people, hopefully Betsy will decide whether or not you earn another chance or not. But if I want to get guns out of my kids world, this conversation has to be loud. It has to be annoying. It has to be a little embarrassing. It has to be obnoxious. It has to piss people off. It has to make people uncomfortable. And that's how you keep it alive again for 15 years. So that 15 years from now, hopefully when my kids are in high school, there's a new law about mental health, keeping assault rifles out of the hands of people with mental health disability. You know what I mean? Like how do, how do I not see it that way? I mean, I think the generation of young folks who practiced lockdowns mm -hmm. in schools they they will solve this riddle my generation gen x you know we screwed the pooch on it i, I, I tend to agree with you oh. we're in the back smoking our closed cigarettes <laughs> and making snarky just like this except we're not smoking but this you know is, don't forget there was a psa there was a psa when i was growing up said it's 10 o'clock do you know where your kids are and that was to remind our parents that they had children. Right? 
like the climate change issue, though. The people that are going to change and affect climate change are the young people who are like, uh, y'all are fucking up our planet. Yeah. And I think the, you're right. Like, But it is embarrassing that we're yeah. letting this fall on children. But like when these other yeah, representatives go home to their respective districts, the, the ones that paid attention to it are like, yeah, give those clowns hell. Yeah. Give it to them. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean. Because we're in this bubble. Yeah. Here, it's like, hey, maybe we should do something. Back home, like, government is not taking my fucking gun. Period. Right. That's what the Second Amendment means to those folks. Right. But also, the government isn't going to take your gun. <laughs> like, <laughs> just practically. Like, all, if you took, because it, it's gonna, would be cops that come do it, right? Like, A.K.A. the government. Right. That's the government. <laughs> Let's say that for some reason, like, I don't know, we, we all do mushrooms tonight. I, all Everybody in Tennessee. All right. I like where this is going. We're all doing <laughs> mushrooms as part of the, you know, Marxist trans orgy that I'm inviting you all to. Um, we all do shrooms. We all are one with the universe we have discovered that the boundaries between us are illusory and, and golly, we love each other. Okay, we are going to turn over our guns. When you think of how many guns there are in Tennessee, there's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough days in the year. We could start today and everybody in an orderly fashion turns in their guns and we would still be at it like 40 years from now. So that's just a complete non-starter even if there were no opposition, it could not be done. So whatever the solutions are, and like that's why I think solutions are, yeah, you have to be licensed to use a firearm. But we just want to know that you have some basic training because like, as I'm sure when you were coming up, when I was coming up, we were all taught, every single one of us, whether your family was a gun owner or not, that you don't pick up a gun unless you think you're going to shoot it. You don't point it at something that you don't want to shoot. And if you do shoot, make sure that you know what is behind the thing that you're pointing your gun at so that you don't, you know, accidentally shoot your friend when you think you're shooting a rabid dog or something. Dick Cheney. <laughs> right. Exactly. How did Dick Cheney not learn these basic rules of gun ownership? And I don't think that it's too much to ask for us to, like ask you to be able to recite like those three things and then prove that you know how to like take apart the gun and clean it and put it back together. It like, was called a hunter safety course. Yes. Right. Exactly. Take a hunter safety course, get your license, go for it, have your 7 billion guns. Like, but let's like, what we don't have is we don't have a knowledge. You know, this is probably it. Our dads were the last men in America who had a draft. So you used to have a bunch of people who, whether or not they were going to go on to be gun owners after they got out of the military, but you had people from all walks of life who were taught about guns in the military. So when they came out, they had a set expectation that was put into them by the military of what a gun owner is supposed to do and how they're supposed to conduct themselves. And the change seems to have happened. And, and like, obviously, I'm a lefty. I'm not like, bring back the draft. But 
<laughs> like right. that has been part of the big change is that the, you can't expect that all gun owners or that all people gun owners are not have the same shared base of like these yeah. are the safety rules we all which again is why like saying you have to take a gun safety course I, and like why is that onerous well i think we should legalize the most horribly branded item in the history of earth we wow. should legalize god's plant <laughs> the more vogue term is to call it cannabis it is god's plant man did not make that plant are you suggesting that if we all had weed in our lives legally that we'd have less gun violence i i will say i've never seen a bar fight between two people that were that were stoned well, well it, that's what I'm saying. Alcohol does that. It, I think it would be good for everybody. It would lower the outrage machine on X that's or true. Insta or, you know, metaverse, <laughs> what the hell ever. But yeah, I, I think the legalization of God's plant would do well for everyone's psyche, particularly in the absence of funding for mental health care treatment. Right. Well, which is the other thing, too. I mean, bless like. I was thinking like funding is fine, but again, this is something that socially, and you know, obviously if you follow me on Twitter or X, you know, I love my parents. You also know that they drive me crazy. And so I'm in therapy because I'm a Gen Xer. Like <laughs> there's going to come a point, a therapist will just grab you off the street and be like, here you go, sit on this couch and cry about a dog that died four years ago. Well, I just the fact just that we don't have a mental health care provider in every school in the state is amazing, a stunning. But my lost if, if every adult smoked weed and went to therapy, we'd be better. Oh, is, what right. is what we're both what we're all getting at. But my parents, who are good lefties, are a little more than a little. They're very uncomfortable that I'm going to therapy because I should just be able to pray about it. And I don't think that they're alone in that attitude. So all the funding in the world isn't going to help if we don't also like kind of destigmatize seeking help for mental health issues, because, you know, like you pointed out, we're raising generations of kids who are going through lockdown drills. The amount of trauma that they're going to have coming out of elementary school is going to be akin to what our parents had. Like you ever want to watch a baby boomer like have horrid flashbacks get them talking about the drills that they did about the nuclear bombs which i always find so comical because w what is getting under your desk gonna stop right but i agree with you yeah, yeah my, right, my mother, they, mother, there's a house right behind ours that's got a bomb shelter in it right they were so traumatized by this and so like our kids are going to come out of this also traumatized it would be nice yeah what if we have a mental health professional in every school what if we just, you know, convince pastors to stop telling people that, you know, well, if it's broke, God will fix it if you pray hard enough. Like, yeah, God is fixing it by giving the therapist the brains to help you talk this stuff through. Like, so I guess that's my concern about mental health is that, like, we're just trying to triage something. Yeah. You know, like, by the time you get to the point where your parents are like, how do we keep guns out of our adult child's hands we know they're unwell it's too late really you know like well travis ranking the waffle house shooter his father he, you know he had to know. surrender his gun but his father got it out and gave it to him yeah yeah I, and, and mental health is far more complicated it, it's 
it's economic insecurity when you when you're start, starting in the professional workforce. It's housing insecurity. It's housing insecurity. Mm-hmm. It's food scarcity. It's you, I mean, it's it's wide ranging and extremely complicated. But again, it it seems like a pretty. I, so this is even in this moment, I am frustrated in this conversation because I don't disagree with anything Jamie you're saying about the theatrics of the week. I don't know, like we know that it's, it doesn't actually accomplish anything. But I also know, as a person who's been in media for 20 years, how important narratives are and how important PR campaigns are over long periods of time. And I, I just, in my head, I have to weigh, do I, do I want this person screaming and yelling while I, he may not be doing all the things that you've said that he needs to be doing? Am I willing to take that in exchange for keeping this conversation alive and kind of basically when my wife and I talked about this for the entire two weeks and it's like six different conversations. And it, it was almost like, <laughs> it was, I felt like we were like cosplaying the, the actual <laughs> house of representatives at one point where I'm trying to, we're trying to talk through these issues. And it is about moving the Overton window on the issue. That's all it is. It's that's the only thing that is left. And so do you see, Jamie, the value of moving the window over 10 years or 20 years or the value of it's a trade off I'm making personally that I'm saying, you know what? I don't give a shit about all that stuff because it's not a it's not my district, but that's like I, I can't do anything about voting him in or out, but he's fighting a fight. Does that make sense? Like the enemy, the enemy of my <laughs> enemy is my friend kind of thing. Do, do you not have equal levels of outrage about the gun issue versus how one person's going about fighting it? I don't share that equal outrage because we since Newtown, Connecticut, yeah, in twenty twelve, I think it was in December of twenty twelve, twenty six people were murdered by the dude with an AR fifteen. I think his name was I'm not gonna say his name. Fuck that guy. Yeah. You know, he killed his mother first. Mm-hmm. What happened after that? Oh, right. I mean President Obama was like if I can't pass gun reform now when am i ever going to that was the moment yeah and nothing's changed and so what i'm saying is my generation older we we've ceded that issue to the generation that had to go to school in it yeah yeah well right i mean uvalde texas then police chief told them not to fucking go in the room i know Uh, i don't want to what the fuck right so so then why like so what are we supposed to do give up I'm saying I'm not going to let it outrage me. Um, and watching this show does nothing to advance the ball. The change back to Betsy's column from Monday. I mean, that's the change. And it requires an opposition that can get its head out of his ass. And I'm not sure that is currently existing in the opposition. So it's going to have to be within her point earlier she said fissure it's going to have to be you're not going to run a democrat in these counties outside of the major metropolitan areas like that's just a damn fool's errand right so how can you start holding your nose and voting for someone on one issue that you you talk about all the time well brayden what do i always say our politics is hollowed out What's going on in the Democratic Party currently? Well, it's going farther to the left. 
running farther away from those people they want to persuade to not vote for that person on the far right. I think in our current construct, it's not going to happen. All right. Well, I'll just say, though, I do want to run away. I want the Democrats to run away from the far right. Like, I, you're going to be standing in front of a bunch of proud boys, like knocking out trans kids on the legislature at what, War Memorial Plaza. Like, fuck you. No, I never want to vote for you. I don't want to vote for anybody. I don't want the people who came to that rally to support you and the proud boys to ever feel comfortable in the democratic party. Like well, in, in any party. Right. Yeah. Well, what, yeah, but yeah. I'm concerned, you know, like Republicans obviously need to clean their own house. But again, to go back to Bill Lee, the world's just most ineffective governor, <laughs> fucking Nazis put up a thank you note to him publicly in Nashville. And dude did not have the balls to come out and say, no, fuck you guys. I don't want your support. Yeah, that, it's, it's, it's always like, well, we don't endorse or uh, affil- we have no affiliation with these people. Now, they voted for us and they fund our right. campaigns. But- and, and I am not going to say anything too against them because I don't want to. Sorry about that. I don't want to make them mad, but it's like. It, it, oh God. For a guy who spent his political career trying not to make anyone mad, sure has pissed every motherfucker off. Oh, my God. It's such a. So, OK, so to your point about the hollowing out, which we if you've listened to the show long enough, everyone knows that, that that and that I think largely is is true. We did talk with with Joel Ebert last week on the show, and he mentioned primarying Republicans in, in red districts with a more moderate and the, the possibilities of that seem far fetched. Seem, yes. seem, but this is what your column is kind of about, which is Betsy, which is if we get enough of the fissure to break off, right? And I guess then you'd somehow need the, the moderate left to join into that party and maybe vote against Democratic candidates, which seems crazy. But like in a red district where that candidate has no chance, could you then get a moderate to slide in and maybe beat somebody out, maybe knock off one or two of these seats? And I, Again, that may, I doubt that happens. So we've got... Well, the latest example in the Republican Party was Deborah Maggard. Yes, that's just who I was going to bring up. And exactly right, right? Because that... And I'm sure, like, I've heard multiple people say that, that when they feel like the change happened. But Deborah, Deborah Maggard, who was, from my perspective as a Democrat, like, she was horrific. <laughs> and she got a tiny bit soft on guns. Tiny soft is not like glanced in a general direction (laughs) of a softness on guns and they booted her Courtney Rogers and that scared everybody so it will work in the I think in the other direction and we're not you know there's no pie in the sky I don't think in among like liberals in Tennessee like we know the only change we're going to get on guns if we ever can is going to be very incremental but the problem is so big that even incremental small changes will have a big effect you know like if the covenant shooter if their parent really had been able to keep them from buying like they thought they got rid of all the guns in the house if they were able to make that true 
then who, you know, like that just puts a stumbling block. Then that person has to figure out, well, how am I, how am I going to rearm? You know, like, and so I think just trying to make it a tiny bit harder to kill our children should not be like a controversial political stance. And yet here we are. Well, Um, we're not talking about those moms and to the extent that someone can beat one of these republics, I, I don't, you know, the Deborah Maggard example is, is point being get concentrated and focused on mm-hmm. one, yep. two max. The Covenant moms, somebody in that group is going to have to be the candidate. Oh, yeah. Well, don't it's you- not a one off or two off It's no. that believes in these issues. It's going to have to be one of them. Well, don't I can't remember I, her name I, now, but I, the Melissa, one- Melissa Alexander yes. would be a candidate. Yeah. In, no, my, I, in my opinion, she's obviously. Whether she consciously knows it or not yet, she's obviously running. You don't end up with a huge story in the Washington Post uh-huh. as, a, as a regular mom who doesn't have any kind of ambition except for to, like, move the needle a little bit on this one thing. Like, no, she's setting her again, I don't know if it's conscious or not, but she's setting herself up to run. Well, speaking of that story, there was somebody guiding them around. Mm-hmm. And right or wrong, it's just reality. It tainted her because the person she was riding along with, leading them around, is a Democrat yeah. and worked in the General Assembly for Democrats. You know, most recently being the caucus chair. And I don't want to name her unless she she texts later and says she wants to be named. I don't want to name her. She's in the Washington Post store. That's got a taint on it. So they're going to have to be a pure Republican. Can't be somebody that voted in a Democratic primary because that's the first test. Because before you can appear on the Republican primary ballot, you know, you got to go to the executive committee and there's challenges in play. So you got to be a bona fide Republican. Do you think that's why Beth Harwell poked her head back up? Because I, I was. Beth Harwell poked her head back up. Right? She's in I that, missed it. She's in that Washington Post story. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Cause, and doing the same thing, or like, oh, we're, Tennessee became Republicans because Democrats moved too far to the left. And I want, I just so bad wanted that reporter to ask her what she meant by that. Because what is too far to the left in Tennessee? Go ahead, Green Hills, Beth. Tell everybody that the problem is we've been too nice to gay people, that we're too nice to trans people, that we let black people get angry in public and we don't have a fit about Like That we love funding our public education system. Yeah, right? Like Weed is legal. You, you we can, can keep going. You can argue that nationally that the problem is, I guess, the Democrats move too far to the left. But, I mean, keep coming left, boys. Um, Post-expulsion, that's what's happening. And I think you would concede that Tennessee is not that way, even Davidson no. County. Right. But, you know, like. Maybe next council term right. is the farthest, farthest left. Right. Our legislative bodies. Everybody. Right. But I'm just saying, like, we have this dynamic in Tennessee where we treat the Democrats like an abused wife. That somehow it's always their fault. Like, oh, if you hadn't provoked the Republicans into doing this, if you hadn't, you know, if you'd been a little nicer, they wouldn't have had to hit you. If you had not been so far left, they wouldn't have had to squat. Like, at some point, it's like, let's let's 
admit there isn't anything the Repub- that Democrats could do that would keep Republicans to being nice to them. That's just not that's not how politics works. But we keep trotting this out as if like this small band of ineffectual I don't know, like politicians somehow is like secretly behind the scenes like we'll play a victim this way and that'll make them look this, you know, like, no, like maybe they just genuinely are assholes and it's not because Democrats have no other power, but the power to manipulate you to pick on them, which would be a weird power. (laughs) I mean, we have a super majority because the overwhelming majority of the state of voters of voters. And we have a problem in that in turnout problem. Yeah, <laughs> the people don't problem. vote. We don't actually yeah. have a good idea of what the state wants. Also, we incarcerate black people at such a rate that a fourth of a black adults can't vote. So how are they possibly represented? Like, we've already lumped them into majority black districts there are some except i hear you but there are some i just got a strange anecdote about that there are some exceptions because in council district 20 at least under the former where the prison is there's a few people out there that vote from in the prison huh well good for them work the system man i think they you know kept their status after you know they were grandfathered in okay based on the crime they committed yeah there's like five of them it's always it's always interesting when they show up. I, I was sitting, and this is speaking of anecdotes, I was sitting this week with my neighbor. Our kids are playing in the backyard, and a gentleman from Australia, who's a friend of my neighbor's, comes, pops by, he's in town to visit, and he lives in Brazil. And he, his comment, I was fascinated to see his commentary on Nashville, on Tennessee, and on the United States. And a lot of his commentary is, it is unbelievable how wealthy you are. First of all, not like me personally, but like as a country, how wealthy we are. And then when me and my neighbor immediately go, but that's what, you know, but we can't fund public education and we can't do, do this. We can't do X. We can't do Y. And meanwhile, we've got two weeks of session arguing and, and drama and circus that took place because people are upset that they're, they can't protect their children. And we're obsessed with guns. And Australia, of course, has fixed the issue quickly. New Zealand fished, fixed the issue quickly. Great Britain fixed the issue quickly, immediately following mass shootings. It is obvious how to do it. And he was just sitting there like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? And my neighbor and I look at each other and go, it's never going to change. It's never going to change. And I think a lot of what we saw over the last two weeks is the feeling of it's never going to change. And we don't know what to do about it once you get to that part of the conversation. And I think that's where people gravitate towards the personalities and the noise and the circus and the Democrats walking out. And again, I think the the House supermajorities and the Senate majorities don't do themselves any favors by sort of allowing that to to get to, to fan the flames even more by putting rules in place to carry a mom out who's crying in a, with a sign to limit the balconies to silence people to change rules like it's just it's all stupid shit that they didn't have to do and again I don't know well we're still again the- this is my ther- this is my therapy thank you guys he, for he who wins the election you know it's kind of the golden rule he who wins the election gets to make the rules right and i think right. you know we still live in mark twain's america like there's no need for anybody to continue to try to write to write the great Amer- american novel because until we fix ourselves on race it's always just going to be mark twain but in life on the mississippi mark twain talks about like two kinds of freedom in america one is the freedom of the riverboat captain, 
which is where you're on top and you tell everybody what to do and no one can tell you what to do. And that's the freest man in America. And then he contrasts that with a family of um, former slaves and their newfound freedoms and how that is a, a community freedom and the fact that they're able to stay together and live, you know, how they want now and work together. And that is just the contrast, right? Like that's, I think what we're seeing play out is that some people feel like freedom is I do what I want and you can't stop me. And other people's ideas of freedom are, I'm not free till everybody's free. And that is just going to, like, we have just a fundamental difference in definitions of terms, even though we all want freedom. I, did, I find it interesting, too, with the, the Covenant Moms being sort of more affluent, uh, Brentwood-ish, Williamson County Republican, like, that now that they're into the fight, and it's like, this is something black women in particular oh, yeah. have been dealing with for decades right. on, on a much greater scale and broader scale. Uh, and if it and if it takes some, if it takes you know the Covenant moms and the the Williamson County Republicans to affect change, come on board, right? Like, let's, exactly. Let's roll. Exactly. And I mean, this is also what I'm going to say in Justin Jones's defense is he is doing what he's doing in a state that stood back and let them gun down Martin Luther King. I'm not trying to compare him to King. I'm just saying you just did. Well, okay, I did. Fair. I don't think he compares to King in some ways, but I do think the fact that what we do to black men we don't like in this state has a long and terrible history. And I don't know how I would act under that kind of pressure. And yet he still shows up. So I'm giving him credit for that because that is braver than I will ever have to be. So, yeah, I I admire that. Yes, no, nobody. I completely agree with that. The key is do do the work, the groundwork that Martin Luther King did, uh, and that that's how you build the, the true movement. Right. Um, and so you got to. It's great to be a, a great oratory, right? Uh, force, but you got to do the work on the ground too. Right, um, and and so. that I think fairly is not his strong suit. Yeah, I think how a bill becomes a law. Some folks, covenant folks, and others realize it ain't what you learned in middle school civics class. Well, I think they, I don't think they learned anything. In, I don't, like you said last week that we need to get people back to Schoolhouse Rock because people don't have any idea. Governing isn't easy. No, and people it, do not know how the government works. Like, so in my day job, I work for Vanderbilt University Press. I don't know if I should say this or not, but, um, we're like bringing a book back out that was written in the 60s about like why Nashville consolidated because we realized like no one knows like why do we have a metro Nashville like why are we the whole county and not just like the city like what decisions went into that and there is nothing there is no resource that tells people Here's what they were thinking. Here's why they did it. Here's why it worked here and didn't work in other places. And so we're bringing it back out. I mean, it'll be next year. Obviously, like, I just got the ball rolling on this. But um, You remember the title of the book? It's just called Nashville Metro. It's by Brett Hawkins. You can buy it on Amazon for $90 or you can Holy. wait a year. 
<laughs> I was just looking at that the other day because yeah. I, I wanted to read a contemporary account yeah. of what was going on at the time. Yeah. So we're bringing that back out in paperback next year. Fantastic. And it's it's, it's really great. And not just great because... The, the cover red? Yes. Yeah, yeah like a reddish orange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Hawkins, who, bless his heart, just died last year. But um, this was his doctoral dissertation that he then turned into a book and it's really wonderful because he'll say like this was the party line on what was going on this is what the paper said was happening well I went and talked to so-and-so and he said well I made that decision because of this and it just is so charming because it's like oh right yeah this was like still a small enough town that you a, a grad student could just go and talk to the former mayor and be like well what were, you, what were you thinking about this and i think that's so important i mean that's part of what's happening here right is you're right. bringing people in and you're saying what was your thoughts on that why did you take that approach i think when we were practicing before we launched our first episode i told you there's what's what shows up in the media mm -hmm. there's what the republicans said there's what the democrats said and then there's what happened right yeah, there's that, that's a pretty old one there. There's your story, there's my story, and then there's the truth, right? Right. Um, on almost everything that takes place. Well, I think there's, I'd like to believe that there is enough interest in learning more about the history of our city and our state and, frankly, how government works and everything else. I, like, I think, I, th I think we're coming back around on this, and maybe um, it's totally anecdotal and maybe it's wishful thinking, maybe it's naive, but I, I do think that there is a little bit more of a thirst for information than before. Like uh, you can go read stories about how the interstate was put where it was put and right. it's, and you'll learn a whole lot of shit about this city right? <laughs> real yeah. fast. Yeah. So I, I hope that at, at minimum, this kind of noise brings a few more people into like feeling that they need to learn. Right. If nothing, if nothing else. Right. And my hope also is that people will look at what happened over these past two weeks and realize if these clowns can run the government. It cannot be so complicated that I can't learn how it works. Yeah. Like, so it is now, you know, it might feel daunting. Like there's all these committees and then there's these hot, like what is happening? But it's like, no, ma'am, like if these clowns can figure it out well enough to run for office, you can figure it out well enough to figure out like, Okay, well, how do I influence this bill? How do I follow it? And in that regard, like, listen, I'm just going to give a, a small bit of credit to our Secretary of State, who shall remain nameless and possibly still drunk at Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not our, we're not Jamie's who we legal, are on our worst day. Jamie's legalizing all of that, didn't you hear? Listen. The only way that I'm going to Bonnaroo at this age yeah. is drunk. So I, I, he should have got a driver, yeah, okay. but yeah, fire. Yeah. No, I but what I was going to say is uh, like, I tell people all the time, Hey, Uber, as long as the Uber is less than $5,000. Right. Yes. And losing your job. <laughs> Pay yes. for it. Yes. But like the Tennessee State Library and Archives website is very easy to use. It has so many great resources. It's fantastic. The, even the General Assembly's website, very easy to find bills, to mm -hmm. see like where they are. Award-winning. Yeah, and it is really like, I don't know who's behind that, but they're doing a great job. And it's really, you know, you can follow along 
we have these resources. We just need to make sure that people are aware. And the other great thing about the State Library and Archives, which is like just my favorite, favorite, favorite government institution in this state is because not only do they have all this stuff, but if you can't find something, everybody there is so helpful. So I got lost in the basement in the old building once and I could not find my way back out. So I had to call. I'm in the building. I had to call up to the front desk. And they're like, Miss Phillips, we just, like, where are you? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like me and the ghost of Andrew Jackson are down here, like, in the bowels of hell. How do I get out of here? And they like, okay, well, what does it look like? I describe. And they're like, okay, well, you're looking for this elevator. And I'm like, okay. So I finally get out. There. Did anybody make fun of me? No. Did, but did I make like the biggest asshole of myself getting lost <laughs> in a mostly empty building when I just had to like ride an elevator? Like how I can't even explain to you what happened that I got off the elevator, realized I was not somewhere that I needed to be. And yet somehow could not make my way back to the elevator I had just gotten off of. I got so instantly turned around. Now, if somebody called me at my office and was like, Betsy, I'm lost in your parking garage. I would be like, I have to laugh for like four minutes. I will help you, but I have to laugh. <laughs> and then when I'm done helping you, I'm going to have to make fun of you some because that's just like, but no, everybody super sweet. I feel like there's some really deep metaphor in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what it is. I know. I'm just telling you all the truth about myself. Like, All right. I got two questions. Okay. Who bombs the Alexander Luby's house? Um, my guess. Man, you're gonna ruin my book. <laughs> okay, don't no, 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 I am. Um, my guess is that it was an FBI informant, and that's why it wasn't ever solved. I have the name of that guy, but that I am holding <laughs> back for the book. There you go. Um, he was also an informant for the um, fire marshal's office which appeared to be the only competent investigative branch of our government in the 50s. Not true today, <laughs> I can assure you. <laughs> I got way too up close and personal with the state fire marshal's office. Oh, yeah. all, right, all right, question number two. What, what, was he, what was he informing on? Oh, insurance fraud. Oh, yeah, of course. Fire marshal, fire marshal insurance. Yep. Yeah, because the Klan was raising money for itself by so imagine north nashville you know where the jewish cemetery is the clans like meeting it wasn't like their official meeting place but a clan owned garage like fix your car garage is right across from the jewish cemetery which is a block outside of the city limits so whenever they blow up a home around their garage the closest fire station that can actually come to that area is up here in Tom Joy. So they can have a series of mysterious fires that burn out before, and there's nothing left. They've burnt to the ground and it's the 50s. There's not like great, you know, arson investigators or anything. So that was how they were funding their activities was like, we're just going to commit insurance fraud and then take those checks and use that for our nefarious activities. Uh, okay, and that, okay, that fire department change 
didn't occur until the Purcell administration. So there is a large <laughs> chance that a big chunk of our audience has no clue what you guys are talking about. Oh, fair. So, okay. You don't have to tell the whole story, but just give the name again. Right. And, and please tell everybody the name of the book, by the way. Too. Okay. Yes. So the book is coming out in July from Third Man Books, which is Jack White's mm-hmm. publishing arm, which is fun. I've not met him, but I'm also, just going to assume. Also an interesting character. Right. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so the book is called Dynamite Nashville, Unmasking the KKK, the FBI, and the Bombers Beyond Their Control. It is about three unsolved integration-era bombings here in Nashville, the Hattie Cotton Elementary School in 1957, the Jewish Community Center in 1958, and then the House of City Councilman Z. Alexander Luby in 1960. Luby was also, he was a prominent black attorney. He worked on school desegregation throughout Tennessee, and at the time that his house was bombed, he was one of the lawyers for the sit-in kids from like Fisk and TSU. And so um, April 19th, 1960, early in the morning, but after the Tennessean had been out for delivery, his house was blown up. And if you'd like to read more about that mystery, go buy the book. Yes, but not until July. But so. not for, yeah, but for like a, a year from now. Right. <laughs> Pre-orders maybe sometime in the spring. Yes, but all also right. you can just follow me on Twitter and I'll blabber all about it. At Aunt, at Aunt B. <laughs> right. uh, quickly, Jamie, follow, second question. That was it? That was you're, it. You're done. Okay. Uh, Betsy, thank you truly for coming in and hanging out with us. We really do appreciate no, it. No, this has been keep, good fun. I didn't even writing. get to mention the Marxist transgender orgy that I came from you, this morning. You got Well, you got one orgy in. You, That's true. One orgy is enough That's per true. episode. It's we just come... Come to the left. It's all orgies <laughs> and drag queen story times. We're not trying to convert your stop, kids. Stop grooming me, Betsy. <laughs> that is. That's my whole goal. I'm like, why are we wasting our time on kids? Kids are boring and they're filled with snot. We need to groom rich old men. Which, by the way, are disgusting, creepy people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's true. I, they, listen, they cannot, they I, can't come to the orgy. I know, because here's the deal. Look, uh, Lee Beeman would be at the orgy. <laughs> we all know this. I believe in personal freedom. Let me do whatever the fuck I want to do in my bedroom, okay? Right. All right. Just And that, that goes for you rich old white Republicans, too. You can right. do whatever you want. Just don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and don't tell me about it. That's <laughs> You can follow Jamie Holland on Twitter at J.R. Holland. You can get to him there. You can get to Betsy Phillips at Aunt B. You can find her scribings all over the Nashville scene. And as well, of, of course, the new book coming out in next next July. So there you have it. Uh, my name is Braden Gall. Scroll all the way to the bottom of your, uh, your, your podcast application. As Not on the episode. And go. To- Not on any individual episode. Down the whole show. Just get to the bottom. Give us five stars. 500 five-star reviews. If you don't give reviews. us five stars, you are a hater. Jamie Thanks. Holland will make you cookies. Pot cookies, I heard. Ice cream sandwiches. That's Pot ice cream sandwiches? I love, I love to give away an ice cream sandwich. Love okay, there will be ice cream sandwiches. I will try to negotiate for them to be laced with pot. Okay. But I don't know how that's going to go. It has to be infused. Then maybe it's legal. I don't know. And anyway. Just pray just, for me. Just, can, cannabinoids. Thoughts. Not pot. See, you called it pot. Thoughts it's God's 
plant. Well, because yeah. I'm old. I know kids today don't even call it pot. They're like, look at that old woman calling the, the, it pot. The reefer madness. <laughs> okay, you two knuckleheads. So we'll do another episode when you guys, and we'll just do it on the legalization of housing and weed. That all. That's what it's going to be. So That's what we're going to be talking about next session. There medical, you. God's plant. I medical like, housing. I, I am for medical housing and legal weed for both Excellent. of us. Excellent. All right. Thank you guys. Scroll to the bottom five stars. Click that button and actually share the product. Tell somebody about the show. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And, but don't uh, tell my mom saying. and dad because I will get angry phone calls from them. So. There we go. Don't tell Betsy's mom and dad. <laughs> but everybody else. Tell Th- them. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next week.